Back-to-back road wins by your Kansas Jayhawks has us saying this. The man's been on a hot streak at his alma mater, just like his basketball team has been on a hot streak in general. Two-man show today. Uh, So normally whenever Landon misses an episode of the Inside the Paint podcast, we know exactly where he is. But Nick, we don't know where he's at today. Where do you think he is? Wrong answers only. It's a it's a little mysterious. He didn't say anything. He just texted us, so he's not in the movies with a with a woman. I think we can conclude that unless he's, he's sneaking his phone. Uh, my first guess would have been a date. He talked about a couple weeks ago. I don't know if it was last week that he said that he had a female interest. And this is Landon Fields. I don't think he's had a female interest that, <laughs> other than Brie Larson or some celebrity that he sees on TV before the KU game. Um, yeah. But I think that, that 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 might be a development. You know, uh, Landon worked at Culver's at one point. Maybe he's you know going out to Culver's with some friends, uh, just enjoying those that place because uh, he misses it. Uh, I don't know. What do you think? He's definitely not on Mass Street partying in in the way in the wake of uh, Kansas getting ready to or in advance of Kansas getting ready to play Baylor. It's a top ten showdown, a Sonic blockbuster. Duke North Carolina gets the blockbuster tag whenever they are unranked. Kansas needs a top 10 battle to get that title from ESPN. Big one for the Jayhawks tomorrow, and we're going to talk about the Big 12 race and all of that stuff. I'm Ryan Landreth. And I'm Nick Whiteboot. All right, let's talk about this. Uh, let's talk about this game. Maybe the most fun Stillwater game we've ever gotten to recap. Like it, they don't do that very often, so we're going to enjoy every moment. <laughs> Number five, Kansas 87. Oklahoma State 76. One more time for all of you in the back. An impressive performance by the Jayhawks. Kansas shook off a sleepy start by ending the first half with a bang. Back-to-back threes in the final minute of the half put them ahead at the break, despite probably being outplayed in the first 20 minutes. And then they had an early second-half spurt that put them in control of a game that they would never give back. Kansas made five straight threes in a three-minute window, spanning the end of half one and the start of half two. And after that, pretty much the entire second half was played within a 5-11 to point window. The end result was an impressive road win that gave Kansas its fifth win in the last six outings. That little three-in-a-row slump feels like forever ago. But Nick, I think you could argue this is one of the most impressive wins that Kansas has had all season long. What do you make of the Jayhawks winning in Stillwater? I thought the offense was fantastic. They were relentless the entire game. Oklahoma State had a barrage of threes. Bryce Thompson started the game looking like Kevin Durant out there. Uh, And and then, obviously, we'll talk about some of the other guys for Oklahoma State uh, who didn't miss a single three the entire game. But they were able to control the pace. Uh, it was a back and forth game, very high energy, uh, switching switching point or switching leads early on in this game. Kansas eventually took the lead by ten or so and didn't look back, kept the foot on the the pedal and kept an arm's length distance away from Oklahoma State. Uh, a combination of great performances. Uh, Grady Dick is back, folks. It wasn't Lindy. No, that wasn't Lindy Waters. You saw in the court at, uh, in uh, in Stillwater this time. That was actually a KU player, and he was white. Um, uh, it wasn't Phil Forte either. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a great performance by a lot of guys. Ernest Uday start, played great. His, I think his first really great back-to-back performances this season for KU. Kevin McCuller was beyond uh, great and was well before he went down with the injury. Uh, it looks it seems like uh, it's things are trending up for uh, Harris as well. So a lot of things to be happy about. Yeah, really good performance by KU, who, as you said, the offense was great. This is the best, one of the best defenses in the Big 12. 
Uh, and they had come in, they had come in winning five in a row and seven of eight, so they were playing well. They hadn't really beaten anybody like on Kansas's level. Seven of eight was great, but none of those wins were against any of the big three teams in the conference. Uh, they did beat Iowa State. Uh, they swept Iowa State this year, which is impressive. Uh, they they obviously beat TCU at home as well, and they're taking care of their business, sweeping Bedlam and beating Texas Tech at home in an overtime game. So they had picked up more than their fair share of quality wins. But this was always going to be a test for them, and they didn't pass it because Kansas's offense was just really good. We saw time and time again where defense would create offense for the Jayhawks. Oklahoma State had a stretch, particularly down this down the uh, closing minutes of the first half, where they couldn't take care of the ball, kept turning it over, and the transition buckets were what were keeping Kansas in it when Bryce Thompson was shooting very well early on and it felt like that Oklahoma State should have had about a 10 point lead in the first half they never did Kansas steals those last couple of buckets at the end of the first half and then you kind of knew once they started the second half strong that this was their game to lose so the immediate implications of this game are that the Jayhawks pull into a first place tie in the Big 12 race it is Texas Baylor and Kansas the three teams we've kind of said all year are going to be the ones there at the end they all are sharing the Big 12 lead right now let's talk Big 12 race five games left for Kansas Baylor at home very tough TCU on the road. They are struggling as of late, but still, obviously we saw what they did to Kansas at Fog Allen this year. Back-to-back home games against two teams in the bottom three of the conference, West Virginia and Texas Tech, two games that you should win, and then a big one at the end of the year in Austin against the first-place Longhorns on Senior Day. Five games left. What's your gut? How many wins, and is it enough to capture the Big 12 or at least a piece of it? Uh, I'm not going to spoil my pick tomorrow, but I, I think that they win tomorrow. And I think that overall in these, what final five games left of the conference schedule, I believe Kansas will go four and one with a loss in Austin. Now, the other question is, are Texas and Baylor going to get there? Obviously, if Kansas beats Baylor, there's Baylor's fifth loss right there. So Kansas going four and one would secure that they're at worst tied with the bears and the bears yeah, still have sh- to go to Austin. I think or, they'll no, share they, with uh, the, Texas. I think Texas will play coming to that final Big 12 game. Uh, needing to beat Kansas to share the title with them. KU will have it locked up by then, at least to share. And then I think they'll both share after that game. I agree. I think, and Baylor still has Texas at home. Texas still has to go to Baylor. Kansas has to go to Texas. And tomorrow, Baylor goes to Kansas. So if Kansas does go 4-1 and one there, Texas has road games at Baylor. At uh, they, they still have to go um, at where is te- uh, at Tad at TCU? They have TCU and Baylor on the road. Kansas at home. Iowa State at home. I think there's at least one loss in there for Texas, which would mean that four and one by Kansas would at worst get you a share. But we're looking at the next two games. I said at the beginning of the week that if Kansas can win at Oklahoma State and Baylor at home, I think that that is going to move them into a position where I'd be stunned if they don't win at least a share of the conference. If Kansas holds serve at home, which we're so used to that happening. Then all they got to do is win one of the two road games. And those are tough games at TCU and at Texas. However, we've seen Kansas in this spot many times. We've seen those other teams in this spot way fewer times. I'm always going to have more confidence in the team that's been here. At the end of the year, if they need that game in Austin, it's Bill Self, a man with, what, 16 Big 12s in 19 years in his time here against an interim coach who's never been in the spot. I have no doubt in my mind who I am rolling with in that game if the chips are indeed as down as we think they will. 
All right, let's begin to talk about some of the players here, Nick. Why don't you tell me about the leading scorer for the Jayhawks who had a fantastic breakout party? Yeah, it was a breakout party for Dick, who had the best game of his career. 26 points, 10 for 17 from the floor. He went 4 for 9 from 3, including on the uh, one at the very end of the first half from the corner. Added 3 rebounds, 3 assists, and a game-high 38 minutes. Uh, I think it's safe to declare his slump is officially over. A hot shooting broke up so many, many Oklahoma State runs in this game. Yeah, it was... Uh, so the, the many runs that it kept breaking up, Oklahoma State's crowd did a really nice job staying in this game. Even whenever they fell behind by double digits, Oklahoma State would make a basket and cut 10-7, to 7, and their crowd was up. Seemed like every time that happened, Grady Dick stepped up with a big shot. I don't think he shot enough. If he's going to go 4 for 9 from 3, I want him taking 15 threes at that rate. His shot is the best, most pure jumper I've ever seen at Kansas. Ben McLemore is the only one that's in that category for best shot in the Bill Self era with uh, Grady Dick. But man, Kansas is so tough to beat whenever they're getting consistent three-point shooting. They started 1 for 7 and then caught fire with 5 in a row, and I believe Dick made 3 of them. Yeah, we've talked about X-Factor this, X-Factor that. Kansas isn't winning without Grady Dick playing well. And obviously, whenever he does play well, you can flirt with 90 on the, one of the best teams defensively in the Big 12. Uh, Nick, you were kind of talking earlier about the offense. You said the offense impressed you. There are some statistics about how well they performed. Tell me about that. Yeah, uh, like you said, the best one of the best defenses in the country, Oklahoma State. So this is pretty uh, pretty anomaly for them. Uh, Kansas, 54% from the floor, 63% from three. Uh, they turned it over 10 times despite playing at a fast pace. Uh, if you've seen the past few games, uh, they've been nearing 20. So uh, this is a great development for them. Yeah, the offense was great. I mean, the offense moved the ball so effectively. K.J. Adams, I thought, was so much better. And he had a good stat line, too. I think K.J. scored like 15 points in this game. And it felt like he scored more than that. He had a, he has turned into Perry Ellis. We'll talk a little bit about that here in a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I thought that the, the paint was open well. Then whenever we saw the three-pointers start to go down, that really did a number as well. I mean, this has to be, in your mind, this has to be one of the more impressive offensive games of the year. Why do you think it was so good? They, the shots were falling. I think they were getting good looks, too. I think the pace was really was really being, was a problem for Oklahoma State. They got great transition offense, and, and they made extra passes. This We talk about this team being someone else unselfish, uh, maybe except for Joe Yesfu, who always thinks he needs to shoot the layup when he has a wide open <laughs> Ernest Uday down in the paint. Uh, but for the rest of the team, these guys will pass the rock and uh, second, third passes, they'll find the wide open guy in the corner, and they caught Grady Dick. We've been talking about how much how much he struggled to get open and find looks because he's just been smothering that man to man defense. Uh, Oklahoma State mixing some zone that helped a little bit. Grady Dick was also able to elude some of the defense by Kansas finding him in the corner when you know the defense is getting sucked in, trying to mess with Ernest Uda, who has been like I said a great development lately. Um, so the offense when when other players like Dewan Harris are driving to the basket and scoring points, I talked about this the last show. This team's offense is just more opened up. There's going to be more and more looks, better looks. When your team is relying on Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick only to score offense, which is what uh, the, the, the losing stretch looked like. Teams did not have to prepare as much. You know, they're just going to face guard 
Jalen Wilson, Grady Dick, make sure they're not open. That's simple, simply done. And now Kansas is is a uh, three-fanged viper. You know, they've got uh, Grady Dick now, Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCuller has been stepping up, and then you got some other guys uh, who have been contributing well. So I think overall the, the offense has just been opened up a little bit more because guys are starting to contribute offensively. Well, and you mentioned the ball movement, and I I don't remember who posted this stat, so I apologies if it's if it's your stat, anyone listening. But Kansas has 400 and uh, where's the number here? 448 assists on 734 baskets this year. That's 61 percent, which would easily be the highest of any of Bill Self's 20 teams at Kansas. This team is as effective at getting shots that are set up from others as any team he's had. And I think that really does hammer home that point we're talking about. They're an unselfish team. There's not a lot of shot creators on this roster. There's not a lot of Andrew Wiggins or Ochai Abaji who can go dribble around and then all of a sudden pull up from these crazy looks and go get his own shot. We obviously know Jalen Wilson can do that, but a lot of the other guys rely so much on their teammates setting them up. They're not great shot creators. This team has so many good passers that it opens up those looks when over 60% of your baskets are set up by somebody else getting an assist. That tells you how unselfish of a team they are. We obviously know Dewan Harris is one of the best passers in the country. Kevin McCuller has great assist numbers this year. KJ Adams, for a guy that's playing the five, has done great passing the ball. And Jalen Wilson's got more assists than anybody on the team but Dewan Harris. So despite being a 20 points per game scorer, somebody who plays like a ball hog we've talked about during his bad days, he still looks for the open guy all the time. Wilson has more assists than turnovers, as does McCuller, as does Adams, as does Harris, and as does uh, Grady Dick. All five starters with more assists than turnovers this year. That says a lot. All right, you mentioned Kevin McCuller. Tell me about him. He was really good. Yeah, terrific on both ends. He scored 15 points and dished out eight assists in 36 minutes. Efficient six for nine, nice from the floor, uh, which every shot besides one being a two-pointer. Defensively, which which uh, the two-point shot or the three-point shot, definitely good to see him shooting less of those threes. He's way more efficient inside. Uh, defensively, he was also a pest. Rolled his ankle at the very end of the game, but he said he'd be all right for the Baylor game. Looks like he's going to play uh, either today or tomorrow whenever you're listening to this. McCuller was so good. He was amazing to watch. It was one of those players that his stats don't do it justice. Watching him play was just a clinic on the defensive end. Obviously, anybody who watched this game knows that Oklahoma State was a two-man band for most of the night. John Michael Wright started making threes later in the game, but for most of the night, it was Bryce Thompson and Kelly Boone who were doing all the damage. Well, Kevin McCullough's man, whenever they switched one of those guys, he was one of the guys that they used to guard Bryce Thompson that slowed him down. Whoever McCullough was guarding was shut down for the overwhelming majority of the evening. Watching him play defense is so fun to watch, and whenever he's able to draw some contact, he may be the best on the team with the exception of Jalen Wilson at drawing contact. I didn't most Ellis venture to say that he's better than Wilson at going and hunting contact. Feels like he gets fouled a lot. Um, and I think that it really shows just what that can do. He's shooting 77% at the free throw line this year. So he's an excellent foul stripe shooter. This is a guy who we knew would be a very Kansas-y player because his roots were in the Big 12. Well, we're seeing exactly that. Speaking of players with their roots in the Big 12, Bryce Thompson. I'm going to go ahead and play this music. It, it, obviously, he's not white. <laughs> But he may as well be the honorary white guy of the game. He really I wouldn't give it to this guy. I'd give it to someone else, but go ahead. Yeah, sorry. in case you want the music again, John Michael Wright. 
You may remember him making four threes at Allen Fieldhouse. Well, he made six. It's like he saw Bryce Thompson's shot starting to grow cold, and he's like, oh, I got this. These two players combined to make 18, 18 three-pointers in two games against the Jayhawks this year. And somehow, Nick, they won them both. Miraculous. I mean, wow. I've watched a lot of Oklahoma State players. You already touched on Lindy Waters and Phil Forte. I saw Keaton Page. I saw Mitch Solomon take eight career threes or make eight career threes, and three of them were against KU. Uh, I've seen... Uh, uh, who's the white guy a couple years? Oh, Dezagua. Thomas Dezagua. Remember him? All of yeah. these players that, that just go nuts shooting the ball from, from three against Kansas, and yet somehow the Jayhawks keep on winning. Uh, and one of the reasons that they're winning is because of K.J. Adams. Let's talk about the Kansas Bigs. Yeah, uh, K.J. Adams, 15 points in 20 minutes. Played a very Perry Ellis-like game. Great on offense. Couldn't stop Caleb Boone at all, though. Uh, Ernest Uday did get fit 13 minutes. The defense was better when he was in. He added two points, two rebounds, and two steals as well. He did foul out, though, and didn't go three minutes without a foul at any point. Is the is the foul problem with the bigs gonna is it is that gonna be a, a big problem for KU? It seems like Ernest picks up three before the 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 first TV timeout of the second half. KJ's been prone to that too. Are you worried about that, especially with the team where it looks like Cam Cam Martin's not gonna play? Zach Clemens is a liability, uh, and you're doing. Uh, it seems like Zuby Edgefor is doing better, but is that a concern for you? Yeah, it is because as you said, Ernest Uday has two fouls by the time he takes his warm ups off. It feels like. I have seen a couple of those rumblings on Twitter that Cam Martin might not play again this year. He's got the shoulder injury. And even if that's not true, he's not going to get contributions. Uh, he's not going to get the minutes. Um, Zuby Ejiofor is healthier, but he's not going to be a guy that gets consistent minutes at all in March. And Zach Clements, we've seen be really good at times and not really good. It sounds like he is now available to play or at least close to getting back. But Ernest Uday has solidified himself as the second best big on this team. He's going to get the minutes, and I'm very excited for that because I think this adds another element to their game. You've been the highest on Ernest. What do you think that having a guy, which even in a game where his stats weren't jump off the page impressive, 2-2-2 two, two, and two with five fouls, the difference in the game he made in those 13 minutes he was there, what is it about Ernest Uday that gives you the confidence that the floor and the ceiling for this team just raised significantly with his contribution? He's everywhere where they need him to be. He's he got that nice block at one point the other night. Um, he he's diving after loose balls. He like you talk about Dewan Harris being an intangibles player who does a lot of stuff that doesn't record on the stat sheet. Uh, Ernest Uday gives you high energy. He's always there, involved in the play. Uh, we've seen in the past Kansas bigs, especially guys like you know. Uh, coming off the bench like Zach Clements, who who just seem to disappear. They get burned down in transition. Seems like, or, uh, even though the, the defense didn't do a great job guarding the bigs for Oklahoma State, seems like he does a little bit better job being there, contesting shots, and just making his presence felt. Uh, remind, his blocking reminds me a lot of Jeff Withy. Yeah, he, he does. He he's, he's a shot blocker, but I'm with you. I think what pops off the page with Ernest Uday is his intelligence. I'm not going to just compare him to Yudoka Azabuke as a freshman because he's a huge man that, that dunks the ball a lot. That's not fair. But Yudoka, and it was really obvious the later in his career it got, he was so intelligent. Joel Embiid was like this too. 
where he was just always in the right spot at the right time. A very high basketball IQ. And I get those same vibes from Ernest Uday. He's just in the right position a lot. Obviously, whenever you're that big and you're that athletic, dunking the ball is not hard. But being in a position to throw down those lobs is. That's not as easy as it looks. There is obviously very complex rotations that are going on there that Ernest is always in the spot to throw it down. Remember the years where when Doak was out, it felt like, and, and they had this problem uh, two years ago, the year after Doak left, when Marcus Garrett was the team's point guard, and it felt like they could never hit on these lobs, that the, everything was thrown too high or too short. It's harder than it looks to, to, to convert a lob play, and Ernest Uday is just a machine with that. I think he's in for a massive jump next year because of his intelligence, and he seems like the sort of player that's going to get better really, really fast. He does right, need to keep his mouthpiece in his mouth, though. He, he, that's true. He's not like Jalen Wilson. The mouthpiece is it's more outside of his teeth than it is on teeth hey i'm glad he's wearing a mouthpiece because anybody who's played sports and's gotten hit in the mouth knows if you weren't wearing a mouthpiece you're all, you really wish you were it'll uh, protect jalen wilson those. has to though that dude has a full set of veneers or dentures or something uh if really he, he gets a tooth knocked out it'd be a, a, a complicated thing to fix how do you know that i didn't know that it lo- you think his teeth are real I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Ask RCB. Are Jalen Wilson's teeth real? That's an no. interesting observation. All right. They, All right. They, uh, you go look at photos from his freshman year to now, and he is new teeth. Interesting. They okay. did a good job, though. The dentist did a good job. All right. That's interesting. The NIL money may be going a long way. Uh, let's now talk about the refs. Because they sucked. I know that's super surprising. Uh, Nick, you got to love a foul fest, right? Every team loves a good foul fest when you turn on the TV and you're seeing those things like those not fun things like baskets and passes. Like everybody wants a foul fest. And well, you got it. Kansas gets all the calls despite getting five more fouls called than Oklahoma State. How would you grade the ref's performance in this game? Because I give it up. Uh, a B because it's average for them. Wow, you thought they were actually good? I thought they were terrible. DeJuan that doesn't Harris, mean good. It means average. I liked whenever J- uh, Grady Dick made three straight threes, and then he airballed one that was clearly tipped, and the refs were like, "Huh? Well, he's been on a heater, and he just airballed one." Must not have been tipped. Going the other way, and it, it was so obvious. Then Bill Self standing there screaming, "Time out! Time out! Time out!" And the ref doesn't give it to him, but instead they call the five seconds. <laughs> Bad all the time. All right, let's talk about Jalen Wilson, who we have some uh, we have some controversy on whether the teeth are real or not. But one thing that is real. That man can play basketball. He was in and out of foul trouble all night, so he played with 28 minutes. Uh, but he did hit the and one dagger at the end and finish with 14 points on 6 of 13 from the floor. And Nick has just found a TikTok where you're completely correct. Jalen Wilson did get new teeth, and his new smile looks awesome. Good for him. How did you know that? Did you just know that from looking at him? Yeah, you can tell. My my brother works in in dental. Uh, he's dental sales, and he told me. But it's pretty it's pretty noticeable how you know. Like here's the thing, though. I, I this is an aside. Obviously, this is more of an Ask RCB thing. But like you look at guys on like First Take or like ESPN. Uh, what's that one guy's name that does? Uh, 
I can't remember his name. Uh, black guy uh, who does Stephen a, a first take with Stephen A. The guy yeah. who does it with Stephen A. Or was it? Oh, yeah. it's even um, Shannon Sharp. Even Shannon Sharp. You guys, you look at their teeth. Their teeth are paper white. Like it, it, it doesn't even look remotely real. That's how dent. That's how people make the mistake of getting veneers that are paper white instead of like a more natural shade of yellow because they think paper white. Oh, I got fake teeth. I got to get the whitest possible shade. And then you look at them and they're like, you have fake teeth, sir. So you're either talking about Keyshawn Johnson or you're talking about Marcus Spears. Uh, I Irving, guess. I think. Uh, oh, the car- Cowboys guy. What? Uh, uh, what? Cowboys guy. You're talking about Skip Bayless? Michael Irvin. Oh, Michael. Well, yeah, Michael Irvin was doing cocaine and stuff in the 90s. Uh, so I'm sure he he could definitely uh, use some work in that sense. Very interesting, though. Uh, we talk about Jalen Wilson. Let's go back to him. This is the second time now that Kansas has eclipsed 85 points as a team, despite Wilson not stuffing the box score in the way he typically does. We saw earlier in the year Jalen Wilson was posting monster numbers, and people were concerned that KU's offense wasn't as cohesive as a unit as it could be. Now Jalen Wilson over the last month or so has had fewer big blow-up games, but the team's offense looks better. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. I don't think it is either. I think that this offense looks at its best with Jalen Wilson being about a 15-plus points-per-game guy and getting the consistent contributions from everybody else. They can definitely win with Jalen Wilson launching bombs and scoring 38 points. But, man, having a nice, steady, balanced team around him sure helps. And Wilson, by the way, still averaging 20 points per game in 26 games. The man has scored a, a uh, I was trying to find the exact number, a whopping, whopper whopping 529 points in uh, just 26 basketball games. He's been really, really good. All right, let's talk about the point guards. Nick, it's all yours. Yeah, Dewan Harris shook off uh, his, rolling his own ankle and had a five-point nine assist outing going for two for seven from the floor but being so good on defense that you didn't even care about the lack of scoring in this one bobby pettifer did return from his hamstring injury playing three minutes and turning it over harris was the one that ran the show all night for the jayhawks yeah and then there's joe yesifu who i didn't group in with this because that's in the bench column and he's not really a point guard and yesifu played well um but harris seven points in this game or five points in this game seven shots rather I would ideally have liked to see him be a little bit more aggressive. I guess whenever you get nine points, if Harris can get to about 15 combined points and assists, Kansas is going to be just fine. And five points and nine assists is close to that. So I guess I'm okay with that. Uh, glad he, he wound up being okay whenever he landed awkwardly on his ankle and he was holding his knee. We're thinking, oh boy, this may be a big time problem. It didn't wind up being that. So all things are going to be just fine. But I thought he looked really, really good. Uh, speaking of uh, looking really, really good, let's talk about Bill. Because Bill Self has now won four times in his last five trips to Stillwater. Remember, this was an absolute house of horrors for Kansas for quite a while. In 2014, fi- or no, they did they went no, okay, 2014, 15, and 16, they lost. Three straight years in Stillwater. They lost twice to Oklahoma State in the same year in 2018, the first team to sweep Bill Self. So they lost four out of five games in Stillwater, and then they turned that around and they've won four of the last five since that. Uh, Bill Self is now 8-8 eight and eight in his 16 games. It's the first time he's been 500 in Stillwater games since uh, being 0-0 way back before he even got to Kansas. So 
they're better. Uh, what do you think about Gallagher Iba? It was pretty loud. It impressed me. I thought it was, and their uh, Grady Dick chants were very original. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird arena. Like how it's set up, it's like all, you're on top of the, the seat in front of you. So it's a cool environment. Much better than the Lloyd Noble Center, for sure. All right, wrapping up some more players here. Joe Yesifu was very good off the bench, making two threes, posting eight points in 17 minutes. He does shoot a lot, as Nick is alluding to, but if you're going to have eight points, then that's fine. He also had three steals, which was a big part of Kansas' defense, was taking the ball away. MJ Rice, just two minutes for him. Zuby Ejiofor made a basket, but he was best known for throwing an outstanding assist to Grady Dick, where he went up for a uh, rebound and caught it, and Oklahoma State smartly swarmed him with three guys because here's an unexperienced freshman big here. He's probably not going to do something smart with the ball, but he did. He found Grady Dick way out at the top of the key, threw it out to him, and Dick splashed in the shot. Eight minutes for Zuby. Uh, what do you make of the bench? Ernest has been better, and Yesifu's been scored more. Is this enough? I'm not going to go as far to say it's enough, but I think it's okay. It's manageable. It's workable. They need somebody to score. If Yesifu can give you eight points off the bench, great. If Pettiford can give you four points and four assists off the bench, great. If Ernest Uday can give you eight points with dunks off the bench, great. They got to get double-digit points from their bench, though. That should be a bare minimum. That's that, that's a, an insult that we're even talking about getting double-digit bench points. The, the real benchmark should be about 20. Uh, but, yes, they need more than they need more than what they had been getting. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this team has played a lot better since their bench has started doing this at a better rate than they were earlier in the year. 54% from the floor, 36% from three after starting one for seven, and 69%, hey, how about that? Ass. At the free throw nice. line. Minus four on the glass, but Oklahoma State missed a lot more shots and got some more offensive rebounds than Kansas did. All right, so they're nine and four. We talked about when they were five and three, and like, oh boy, we're they're five and three. They've lost three in a row. They're headed to Kentucky. This team's done a really good job riding the ship. What do you think the what do you think the trajectory is here? Uh, is this a team that can repeat as national champions, or is that a little ambitious? I'm not confident this team can win six games in a row. Uh, I'll see it before I believe it. Uh, you talk about Bill Self national champions. Each of those squads were able to string together really long runs, in which this team did earlier in the season, but not in conference play. Uh, maybe they're trending towards that now. We'll see. But I, I don't see right now this team winning six straight games, especially with the, the favorable bracket they got last year. I don't think it's going to be as easy this, this year just due to the law of averages. But, yeah. But why do you think that is? What is it about this team that, that has you the most concerned about it winning six in a row? I think they can score, and they've they've shown against Oklahoma State they can score. But I don't know if they can score consistently where they need to for six consecutive games. Uh, last year's team was just Christian Brown, Ochai Baji. Those guys were replaced. You got Grady Dick, but I just don't think the the the, the, the guys you brought in are sufficient enough to maybe counter an attack from a team like you know what Villanova did in 2018 on a special especially a night when they're not shooting well. Um, yeah. Even though they play great defense, I just I don't see them. I I don't see them. Clutching out those those close games uh, in the fifth game of six games in the NCAA tournament. Well, what had me the most concerned about the scoring is typically freshmen aren't just consistent as it gets in the NCAA tournament. Odds are Grady Dick's gonna have a couple games in the NCAA tournament where he's not shooting the ball very well, 
And then it comes down to Kevin McCuller and DeWan Harris. Can those two guys who have been here before, they're your veterans, you obviously have an expectation for Jalen Wilson. He needs to be really good for this team to beat anybody other than the 15 seed they're going to play in the first round. Uh, but after that, you're expecting Jalen Wilson to score about 20 night in the tournament. After that, Kevin McCuller and DeWan Harris have both been here. Harris is a national champion. McCuller has made two deep runs at Texas Tech. These are guys that you need to get consistent scoring and leadership from. I have all the reason I think they can. I love Kansas's roster whenever it comes to, I think they're really tough to defend on a short two-day turnaround. I think they got the greatest coach in college basketball. They obviously have players on this team that won a national title last year, so they know all about they're not going to play in a game bigger than one that they've already won in their career. So I think this team does have a great chance because the main thing I look around at is, if not them, who? Purdue's lost yeah, three or four. I guess that's Houston good ha Yeah, Houston hasn't been tested. Uh, Alabama looked very human the other night. Uh, they'd be, I think Alabama's better than those two teams. Honestly, Purdue. Baylor might... Ba Purdue's lost three or four. Baylor may be the team that's the scariest of any of them coming into March, and we're going to get a nice measuring stick is how the Jayhawks compare next to them here in the next few hours. So, yeah, I, I think that Kansas has as good a chance as anybody, and granted, that chance being as good as anyone in the NCAA tournament is only like a 7% chance they're going to win the NCAA tournament. Uh, but who knows? Anything can happen whenever you have this coach and this you're led by a superstar, you got a great point guard, and you're good on the defensive end. That's usually a recipe for a deep march run. And they're going to have Kansas City potentially in play as a regional site. Why not? We'll see, but why not? Big 12 games. Well, well, well. We knew it would happen sooner rather than later. But the cream of the Big 12 is finally rising to the top and all the turds are starting to sink because this is a three-way tie for first place among the teams we thought would all be in contention and the other teams are starting to sink. Even though I think one of the contenders is starting to sink, starting with this. Texas Tech, 74. Number six, Texas, 67. Nick, we said forever we were waiting on Texas. Every other team in the Big 12 had a stretch where they lost three out of four games, and they kind of slipped for a couple weeks, except for Texas. Well, here it is. Back-to-back -back road losses for the Horns. Uh, hot shooting first half propelled the Red Raiders in a raucous environment to upset the Longhorns. Davion Harmon led the way with 25 points. Texas failed to shoot 40% from the floor, but their biggest problem was twos. Marcus Carr made five threes. Uh, what do we make of the team? I think Texas is a little bit overrated. I like their pieces, but I've said all year, I have doubts about how this team is going to hold up over the course of an entire season without their coach. Rodney Terry has done a great job. He certainly deserves to be in contention for the full-time job if this team ends the year with a deep March run. He's done a great job keeping the core of this team centered on the goal at hand. However, when you lose your coach and the emotional turmoil that that unleashes in that locker room, there's a, only going to be a matter of time before you need that coach. Chris Beard was a great basketball coach, as ugly as he made the game. Obviously, he's not there anymore. Texas now in their first true losing stretch of the year, going into the toughest part of their schedule. I could see Texas losing three of their last five and slipping quite a bit in the Big 12 standings. They also could tie for the league title, and it wouldn't surprise me. But my prediction right now, Kansas and Baylor split the conference title. Texas finishes behind them. I have my doubts about the Horns. Number nine, Baylor, 79. West Virginia, 67. 
Uh, there were uh, four Big 12 games this week, and this one was probably the one that was the most in hand in the second half. Yeah, uh, the Bears got 26 points from LJ Cryer, who was 8 for 11 on threes. They made 14 triples in this game and rolled West Virginia. Uh, Baylor is 9-1 and one in their last 10 conference games. Talk about a, heat, a hot streak. Uh, the Mountaineers lost to Texas and Baylor by a combined 46 points in a 48-hour window. So much for being an NCAA tournament team. Uh, yeah, they're... Ass. But they're probably still going to find their way into the NCAA tournament just because there are so many quality Big 12 wins that they're going to have. But they are 4-9. and nine. They've definitely got to win probably three of their last five to have a chance. And their schedule's brutal. They still have to go at Kansas. They still have to go at Iowa State. So you pencil in losses there, and all of a sudden, their opportunities are small. As for Baylor, you mentioned 9 of 10. This team has... Four Big 12 losses, one's on the road at Texas, no shame there. One's on the road at Iowa State, no shame there. Look at the other two. They lost at home to TCU on the last shot in four seconds. They were four seconds from winning that game when Charles O'Bannon hit that go-ahead game winner with four seconds left. And then they lost in overtime at home to K-State, a game that they definitely should have won. So Baylor right now, Kansas is fortunate that they're tied with Baylor. This is going to be a real challenge for them at Allen Fieldhouse. I think Baylor and Kansas are the best two teams in the Big 12. They might be the two best teams in college basketball. And considering what I said about Texas, how this is a team that hasn't been in this spot before, Baylor definitely can't say that about them. They are a proven, as Fran Fraschilla would say, championship DNA. They know all about winning these tough games whenever the chips are down. We're going to see them not be intimidated at all by Allen Fieldhouse. Well, if there's one thing I got right all year, Nick, it's it's this one, right? Uh, I'll take this one just because everybody yeah, wants to say with with their pride. Emo bitches. Oklahoma 79, number 12, Kansas State 65. Let's start with Kansas State because nobody talks about Oklahoma. No one cares. K-State has gone from 6-1 and one to 7-6 and six in conference play. They, uh, they lost back-to-back games against 1-10 Texas Tech and 2-10 and Oklahoma. <laughs> Nick, you've been the K-State homer all year, uh, and now they're really taking on a lot of water. Big 12 title chances are probably gone at this point. What's going wrong with the Cats? Yeah, uh, K-State, like you said, just uh, I think they're just in one of those slumps that KU was in. You know, lose three straight games. They got lucky in a few of those games earlier this season. I think the pieces are still there. They have, you know, great shooters. I think the biggest thing that's catching them up, as you've seen, is, is the lack of... I think I don't think they're a great defensive team. Uh, Kansas exposed yep. that in both games, even though they lost in the first one in overtime. Um, but I don't think they're a great defensive team. I think their, bigs are, their big is, isn't great. Um, they, they're basically a two-man band, I think. Which is which has helped them most of the season because those guys can do pretty much anything. Mark Marquise Noel is one of the best point guards in the country, and obviously they got a gem in Keontae Johnson in the transfer portal. But I, I think this team has a ceiling. I don't think I see them getting pa- getting to the Elite Eight. I think they're a Sweet Sixteen team, uh, but they certainly have the parts to, to to win some games in March. It's the defense. It's what you said, and also Noel can't stop turning the ball over. But damn, Oklahoma scored seventy nine. We saw Oklahoma struggle to get out of the forties whenever they played Kansas in this la- in that same building just a few days before that. This is not a team known for their their filler up offense, and they made eleven threes or something like that in this game. Twenty two points, eight rebounds, and six assists from Grant Sherfield. Sixteen more from Tanner Groves. The Sooners made eleven threes, as we just said, to win in front of a Lloyd Noble Center crowd that was forty five percent at capacity. Per ESPN, Kansas State, 
The problem with Kansas State, and we see this every year, there's a couple teams in the Big 12 that start off hot and fade. Well, anyone can be the Hunters. Anyone can play from ahead and take down Kansas at home early in the year when they're the scrappy underdog. Well, then what happens when you get to the halfway point of conference play and suddenly you're the team that everybody is circling on their schedule? Texas Tech, hmm, we need to turn our schedule. We need to turn our season around. Let's start with K-State at home. We can get them. Oklahoma thinking we need to win. We've lost six straight Big 12 games. Oh, K-State, we, that, that's a big one. That's an opportunity to get our season back on track. That's how Kansas' streak that's why it's so amazing because they take everyone's best shot. Kansas State started well enough. They climbed into the top five and suddenly they become that team on everyone's schedules and it's really, really hard to get up for those type of games every single night. They do have two straight games at home coming up. They have Iowa State and Baylor. Definitely not easy games, but two games that they should win at home if they are a top 15 team. You need to beat those teams if you really are a top 15 team, a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. So an opportunity for them. Road games are tough, but definitely this is just what always happens in the Big 12 where you have a team that starts hot and then whenever they have to see what life is like being the hunted instead of the hunters, it never goes that smooth. Number 19, Iowa State, 70. Number 22, TCU, 59. Nick, it feels like it's been since that game at Allen Fieldhouse since we've seen TCU win a basketball game. Just wait, they'll light it up against KU in Fort Worth too. Uh, Allianz Coons yep. scored 22 and Iowa State ended a two-game slide. Uh, Mike Miles missed his fourth straight game and TCU shot five for 19 from three without him. Uh, I'm, I'm I have no idea what the what his health looks like right now, but I have a feeling that he might be back for the Kansas game. Just a hunch. Well, yeah, that's and Eddie Lampkin. Remember all the rumors with Eddie Lampkin. Um, all that stuff about, you know, how he had his Achilles and then it wasn't. It was just a sprain. Actually, just got posted on Twitter a few hours ago that TCU's guard Mike Miles has been officially cleared to return yep. and will play against Oklahoma State. So he will be back. However, Lampkins hasn't been the same at all. TCU desperately needs to turn their season around. They also feel like they're kind of sandbagging a little bit. They're going to go into the NCAA tournament as like an eight seed and no yeah. one seed. This is going to be the one seed's reaction. No one seed wants that. We just ask Arizona because TCU is four and eight in their last 12 games. And two of those wins were blowouts against KU and K-State who have two of the best offenses in the Big 12. Make it make sense. Iowa State, good win for them. They move into fourth place outright. Hilton's still one of the toughest places to win in the Big 12. Probably the second toughest place to play in the Big 12. Uh, and their home record is going to carry them to a inflated, in my opinion, Big 12 record. Big 12 standings. Nick, lead us off. Yeah, at number one, it's a three-way tie. Texas schools and Kansas schools. Number one is Texas, Baylor, and Kansas all at nine and four. As you know, everybody loves a good three-way. Number four is Iowa State, the Boo Birds, and the Corn Farmers up there. They have uh, fourth place all to themselves. They're eight and five and one game back of the leaders. The Wheat Farmers and Red Dirt people, I guess. Uh, K State, the Satyrs, K State and Oklahoma State in fourth, fifth place at seven and six. It's, it sounds amazing considering how they looked at Allen Fieldhouse just a few short weeks ago. But if the season ended today, the TCU Horned Frogs would be playing on Wednesday night in the Big 12 tournament. They are six and seven and desperately need to stop the bleeding. Yeah. And then in eighth place, West Virginia all alone, four and nine. And in ninth place, now a tie. Oklahoma and Texas Tech. They are 3-10, and, and who knows? Maybe one of them will make a run at the tournament. 
other games well we got six days of games to recap here the big winner of the week was northwestern who upset number one purdue with a late game surge on super bowl sunday talking like ending the game on like a 17 to 4 run or something like that because uh, they were down eight and then they ended up winning they roared back at the end then that same Northwestern team gets a game winner with two seconds left to knock off number 14, Indiana, on Wednesday night. A great week for Northwestern. The Wildcats are a clear NCAA tournament team at this point. They're in second place just in front of Indiana in the Big Ten. They've only made the NCAA tournament once. Maybe this will be the year they win an NCAA tournament game. Ooh, Sorry, my, uh, my uh, Word document just completely refreshed on me. Uh, speaking of Purdue, the third-ranked Boilermakers took their third loss in the last four games, this time at Maryland, 68-54. to Their lead in the Big Ten is down to just one game over the Wildcats and Northwestern. I'm trying to see if uh, Northwestern did, in fact, win an NCAA tournament game. I think they did. They made it in 2016-17. Because remember the kid crying, like, that, that meme, the Northwestern mm-hmm. kid? I remember that. They wound up, yes, they did win an NCAA tournament game. They beat Vanderbilt in the 8-9 game and then lost to, this is going to surprise you, an overseeded Gonzaga team in the second round. I guess that Gonzaga team wound up leading the national championship game with a minute left, and then they lost because that's what they do best. Number one this week, Alabama finally lost their first game of SEC play, falling 68-59 to in Knoxville to number 10, Tennessee. The normally high-powered Crimson Tide offense was held to 35% from the floor and turned it over two more times than they made baskets. An ugly game, but, well, offense is where our Tennessee is where offense goes to die. They are still Oklahoma, or Oklahoma, geez. Oklahoma made Alabama there, you know what. But Alabama's who we're talking about here. The Crimson Tide are still 12-1 in conference play, but their lead is down to one game because Texas A&M unranked Texas A&M is just a game back in number one Alabama. The Aggies are 11 and two after winning four straight games. We're not really going to give the top spot in the polls to number two Houston. Are we Ryan? Uh, the Cougars did beat I a nine and 17 SMU team who's coached by Michael Jankovic's father, I believe uh, to get to 24 and two on the year. They've won 15 of their last 16 games, Mickey Mouse games, uh, but they have one win over a ranked team all season long. They lost to temple. Uh, this team's getting bounced in the second round this year. That's a bold statement. They're really good. Like, they're a good team. They are. However, to say that they're not definitely dealing with an inflated schedule is, well, that's that's something. Uh, also, Tim Jankovic is not the coach anymore there. He was their coach through this last year and uh, ultimately was let go after 2022. Their coach is somebody named Rob Lanier, and he is not off to the best of starts as of right now. How disappointing for George W. Bush. A miserable season for North Carolina continued as the Tar Heels couldn't stop number 15 Miami from winning in Chapel Hill 80-72. The Tar Heels are now 16-10 and 10 overall. 10 losses. Yeesh. They're clearly on the outside looking in right now for an NCAA bid. Not much better are their arch rivals in the Blue Devils. Duke brought back Coach K to Cameron just to barely beat a 2-13 Notre Dame team at home by four. Things are going great under John Shire. Things are going great in the ACC. Virginia barely beat a 3-22 and Louisville team, 61-58, to <laughs> uh, to stay in a first-place tie with Pittsburgh atop the ACC. Uh, yeah, garbage league. 
There is not even words to describe how much Ass. that Louisville sucks this year. And they actually played okay in this game, and Virginia then just, just toyed with them all night and took it from them in the end. Somebody who was not Ass. this week is number 13 in Zaga for hanging an incredible 68 first half points against the Loyola Marymount team that lost to, or that beat St. Mary's two weeks ago. Andy yeah, Gonzaga. do we have any doubt? Do we have any idea who is going to win that league in the end? Gonzaga's going to win Saint that Mary, league. St. Mary's, uh, Mary's and Gonzaga are going to tie. St. Mary's is going to lose some game before that, even though I think that that game's coming up pretty fast. Because their tournament's a week earlier than everybody else's. So, yeah, that very well may be uh, coming to an end uh, sooner than we think. But Gonzaga's going to have a chance to win a piece of that league and keep that streak alive if they can beat the Gales at home. Yeah, uh, and then uh, going forward, Marquette, in the uh, number 11 Marquette in the Big East, uh, put together a second-half comeback to down number 16 Xavier, 69-68. to Shaka Smart's Golden Eagles are 13-3 and in first place of the Big East. Behind them is a three-way tie for second place between the Musketeers, number 24 Providence, and number 18 Creighton, who played a double overtime game that was ultimately won by Providence. Yeah, if Creighton had a great alley-oop to, to win that game and they just missed it, it was a really entertaining game. Unlike this one, <laughs> the ugliest game of the week. It happened late on a Wednesday night, so nobody watched it, hopefully. But number 21, San Diego uh, State beat Fresno State 45-43. to <laughs> The Aztecs shot 33% from the floor, but it didn't even matter because the Bulldogs of Fresno were a hilarious or toxic, whichever way you look at it, 2 for 25, 8% from 3. Uh, there's a player on Fresno named Jamal Baker, who is already a bad three-point shooter at 29%. He took nine of them in this game, and um, they all missed. <laughs> at what point does an 0 for 8 shooter decide, I'm not going to take anymore? Nope, not Mr. Baker. He's like, I'll try this one. Kobe, brick. Yeah, yeah. Uh... The, the the what that conference is not very good. Uh, let's just put that the the, the Mountain West is good away because it's not. Nope, no, nope. and it's better than the ACC, as you said on the last show. Ranked teams to lose since the last podcast. We lead off with number one, Alabama. They went down and lost just like the football team. Top ranked Alabama lost to Tennessee. Number three, Purdue lost to Northwestern. Number six, Texas lost to Texas Tech. Number 12, K-State. They're on this list a lot lately. Uh, lost to Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't go down in the rankings much, but they will now. Number 14, Indiana. Their first loss in a while. They lose to Northwestern. Number 16, Javier or Xavier. Mar lost to Marquette. Number 18, Creighton lost in double overtime to the Friars of Providence. Number 22, TCU lost to Iowa State. Number 23, North Carolina State lost to Syracuse. And nobody cares. Number 25, Florida Atlantic. Lost to Middle Tennessee State. Yep, they are still technically a ranked team to lose, so we must read it. Last weekend pickup, maybe this is the reason that Landon didn't show up. Uh, I went 8-2. and two. Nick went, uh, well, I just erased the record, so I don't know how well Nick did, actually. He did. Pretty uh, well, I went 6-4. and four. No, sorry, 10-0. 10-0. Yeah, there you go, yeah. It's, that'll help you climb your back. And Landon went 4-6. and six. See, I am Landon Fields. Love to... I mean, he was trying to tell us the whole time. Sorry, Landon. Should have been on the show, buddy. Now we're tied. Wait in, buddy. I think I should have said this instead. 
You suck ass, Landon Fields. It's one of my favorite drops. Now on to Nick's favorite segment, Ask RCB. You guys asked all your questions yesterday, and we wound up changing because uh, Landon got home late, and Nick was tired, and I was tired, so we recorded today, and now Landon's out, and so here we are with the questions today. At All Art Casey, what are your top three condiments for any food? Mayonnaise, barbecue sauce, Chick-fil-A sauce. Mayonnaise is hit or miss. Like, mayonnaise is good on a McChicken, but if they spurt too much mayonnaise on, like, a ham sandwich, it ruins it. Mayo Quip's horrible. That's a travesty. That's not even mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is great on sandwiches. Mayonnaise is great on chicken sandwiches. Mayonnaise is great on uh, burgers sometimes. You know, you get a little mix of the the, uh, ketchup, uh, mustard, and mayo. It's a great combination on that. Ketchup or mayo is great for, for making things. You know, those the, the Brie Larson commercial where they made that panini or whatever. Uh, that's It's great for that, too. It's a very versatile ingredient used in a lot of different things, but it's also just great by itself. You know what, who, what place, actually, I'm not even making a joke about this for uh, commercial sake, um, but do you know what place has the absolute best ketchup mustard mayonnaise blend? Mm. Whopper, 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 I knew you were going to do that. Double, triple, I mean, it's true. It's, it, Burger King has good mayonnaise. Um, barbecue sauce is a great condiment. Ranch sauce is a can't-miss condiment as well. And then ketchup. You can put ketchup on anything. Ketchup's like overrated. Mahomes, Ketchup's not Lord very good. It's only good on hot dogs. All right, all right. It's good on hamburgers. It's good it's, on It's hot great dogs. in chili. It's great like with if, French fries. Here's a cooking tip for everyone. Uh, if you don't want bored and bland, bland chili... Which most chilies are, it seems like they're they're just always just beans and, and a little bit of stew. Uh, you add some ketchup actually and mix ketchup into your chili. Tastes incredible. A little bit sweeter and you add a little bit of cheddar cheese into the mix, and uh, that's a great thing. A chili gets some cinnamon rolls on the side, like a good old Kansas high school lunch. Um, you don't know about that. <laughs> you don't know about chili and chili and uh, uh, cinnamon rolls, which is a great Kansas nope. school public school tradition. Interesting. Yeah, no, I didn't go to Kansas public schools. Uh, whenever you get McNuggets at McDonald's, what's your go-to sauce? I don't get McNuggets at McDonald's. Oh, the McDonald's has a hot mustard that's so good. That's the best condiment at McDonald's because, like, their sweet and sour sauce is just okay. But, for chi- yeah, for dipping chicken oh. any day, give me give me Chick-fil-A sauce. I have a thing of it in my fridge. It's better. Chick-fil-A sauce is better than cane sauce. Cane sauce is good. The the, the chicken is irredeemable. It's way there's way too much breading on Kane's chicken. It's no there's like no chicken. It's it, it, and I think that it's overrated. It's it's definitely an overrated fast food restaurant. Congratulations. Right, well, you of- got two pieces of toast, a bunch of fries and some chicken. How many carbs do you need in a single meal? Uh, at grilled by Bill, thoughts on and I I this is going to be interesting. I I I thought this was Nick at first. Thoughts on memes posted on other teams' final score tweets when KU wins. Example, the Chrome photos of Grady Dick just dicked your poverty team. Little Nick, you think those are hilarious? Uh, yeah, Cam Lippold sent me one the other. Shout out Cam Lippold sent me one the other day. Um, the bill it was a Bill Self Chrome chromatic Bill Self. Uh, you know the the super washed photo, uh, and it said uh, Bill Self just uh, Bill Self op- opioid commercial just OD'd your opponent. Um, I thought that was a good one. <laughs> 
People love that stuff. They're really popular on NFL final score tweets as well. I think they're funny. I'm a memes guy. I like all memes, so bring them to me. At Dick underscore Taser, at what age should a male stop talking about his own birthday coming up? Ooh, is it different for men and women? Like, I feel like it, that I feel like it should be about the same for everyone. I, I think that the, the age right. you stop talking about it is probably 21. Nobody, really? can, nobody cares that high. Nobody, okay. ca- nobody cares like, that. Twenty-one people care about because you know you can legally drink. No one cares after that. I always take a personal day on my birthday, just because I feel like really? not working on my birthday. Always, yep. I don't want to work on my birthday. Normally, there's an Elite Eight Kansas basketball game because my birthday's the last week of March, and uh, that's really fun because I'm taking those days off anyways. So. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. I. I don't. I, March is the month that I work the least because I have my. Big 12 tournament ask off request in in September every year. And then you got all the main tournament days and my birthday and all that stuff. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to say, yeah, 21 is a good answer. Uh, but really, once you get past like 16, you care about 18 and then you go to college uh, and you have to go to class on all your birthdays. 21 is a big deal. So I'll say 21. But is it different for a girl? Are you saying 21 for a girl as well? Uh, it's probably the same. All right, I, I like it. I think I agree. At Stefan Timmy seventeen, what would KU have to do to get a one seed in Kansas City, or is it out of the question with the cupcake schedules of the other one seeds? Well, they're gonna have to get in front of who? Alabama is at this point. Uh, they would not. They they would not have Kansas City as their priority. Yeah, but Alabama wouldn't um, go to Kansas City. Purdue probably wouldn't go to Kansas City. I, I mean, maybe because they're Midwest. What's the East regional uh, place? East is in New York City. <laughs> Okay. Um, yeah, they probably want to go to Kansas City. So if you ask Purdue, you probably get Kansas City. But South is probably. I think South is in Texas, isn't it? I think Where's so. Where's the regions? Okay, let's look this up. Twenty twenty three NCAA tournament regions. Uh, Las Vegas is West. New York is East. Louisville is South, and Kansas City is Midwest. So Purdue would go to Louisville. You think Houston would want to go to Houston would want to go to Kansas City? Uh, yeah, it, they probably got to get in front of Houston, and I think that if they win the Big Twelve and you 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 win the conference and you get deep in the Big Twelve, I think the Big Twelve is so tough this year. I think that they're going to they have a Kansas really good chance. Yeah, I I think so. I think Baylor would be in there too. I don't. But I, also I, like I, said, any, I don't think Houston's going to make the Elite Eight anyways. They could the, also uh, easily put Houston going to Louisville as well, like depending on what happens with Purdue. Because I think Kansas should be ahead of Purdue on the S-curve if they beat Baylor. And I think if they beat Baylor, Kansas should be in front of Houston as well. Uh, but ultimately, would you rather be a two-seed in Kansas City or a one-seed in the uh, in Las Vegas? Two-seed in Kansas City. With when a one-seed in Vegas getting two-seed Arizona me, and four-seed Give me Houston as my one-seed. If I'm a two-seed, I'll take okay. Houston any day. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I, Houston hasn't played anybody, so I think that's a fair question. And the last one here from, uh, are we, sorry, we have two more here, at Alakazam underscore 428. Long ways to go for determining things, but with the bracket preview show coming up Saturday, this popped in my head. Hey, look at this. We were just talking about this. Would you rather Kansas be the one seed in the East or the two seed in the Midwest with Alabama and Purdue, one or the other, as their one? I am under the belief that I always want the one seed. I would rather have a one out West than a two in Kansas City because the one's path, both historically and whenever you see the bracket, the one's path is easier. A four seed is weaker than a three for that second, that third round opponent. The West is always softer softer too. I'd rather play an eight, nine than a seven. 
Yes, definitely. In the first round opponents, not even close. You're getting one of the four worst teams in the field instead of a 15 that can easily be underseeded. I would rather Kansas be a one. Their fans travel anywhere. I Give me New York City. Give me Vegas. Whatever. Give me the one. But if there's ever a region that would make us think about that, it'd be Kansas City. What say you? Yeah, I agree. At Nace Wordsmith here, I believe more than three guys scoring in double figures is the most important thing for this team to be successful. Are there any other key indicators of success that you all have identified at this point in the year? What say you? Assists. I mean, that's going to happen. That's a given. So I wouldn't say that. I would say uh, bench points. The bench is important. The bench scoring at least 15. Dewan Harris scoring at least 15 points yeah, plus Harris. assists per game. And Kevin McCuller not being a bag of dog poo shooting the ball. He doesn't have to score 30. He doesn't have to make five threes, but he can't go two for 12. You need Kevin McCuller to be consistent. You need Grady Dick to not disappear. You need your bench to be not invisible. And if those things happen, then you're probably going to be okay. And every team in the country could say that. If you ever have any AskRCBs, use the Twitter hashtag or reply to the tweet. All right, it's time to preview a Sonic Blockbuster, Nick, on ESPN College Game Day. You are going to game day tomorrow morning, Most correct? likely, yeah. I think I'm going to get up early and I'm going to go, but we'll see. Very nice, very nice. And you'll get to see a good game here. Number nine, Baylor at number five, Kansas. A top 10 battle in the fog. Saturday, February the 18th at 3 p.m. Baylor is 20 and six overall, nine and four in Big 12 play. They have won 10 of their last 11 games following that bizarre three-game losing streak to open conference play. Yeah, uh, and uh, leading the Bears is superstar freshman point guard Keontae George, averaging 17 points, three assists per game. He struggled shooting the ball in Big 12 play, but he's done a ton of damage at the basket and draws a lot of contact while converting at 81%. Uh, free throw line. Uh, he is paired in the backcourt with the two elite wings, Adam Flagler and LJ Cryer. Both average about 15 points per game and both shoot about 40% from three. If that wasn't enough, reserve freshman guard Langston Love also shoots almost 40% from three. It's what we expect with Baylor. They shoot the ball really well. They have each of the last few years, and they didn't in the game at Allen last year, and this year they got all their horses firing, including this man. Jonathan Chamachachua is back following his year-long uh, absence with his knees injuries. Uh, he has played in the last four games and added six points and five boards, playing about 20 minutes per. He is their anchor in the middle. 6'7 forward Jalen Bridges is the four. He's their leading rebounder, averaging 10 and 6. And the Nigerian freshman Josh Ojawana, who is 6'10, and the shorter but bulky Flo Thamba also come off the bench. This is a Baylor team that's very deep. All five guys on the floor can score anywhere. It's a staple in the Scott Drew offense. They are a lethal offensive team. Yep, and uh, Baylor is one of the best uh, three-point shooting teams in the country, particularly in Big 12 play. Per usual, they're excellent on the offensive glass. They average 81 points per game, and they're elite at getting to the free-throw line, thanks to George. They move the ball very well, uh, but despite the fast pace, they struggle getting two-point shots up. Uh, they're awful on the defensive glass, and they foul a lot. Uh, George speeding up the offense can also lead uh, to a lot of turnover problems as well. That's the big one there is the turnovers. And we saw Texas, a team that doesn't normally turn it over. They coughed up the ball quite a bit early on in their game at Allen Fieldhouse because of the environment. A lot of Baylor's horses have been in this spot before, but George hasn't. Keontae George is a freshman, and albeit he's a big-time freshman, but that's going to be your best shot. 
Can the crowd of Allen Fieldhouse get him sped up a little bit, trying to do a little too much with some inexperience, never played here before, and that's a potential angle that KU can jump on, especially whenever he's going to be guarded by a player in Dewan Harris, who's very good at taking the ball away from other point guards. Baylor is getting better on the defensive glass with Chama Chachua back, but still, this isn't one of their strengths, and they've been pretty meh on defense this year. Their offense is great. They just bomb threes from all over the court. Flagler is their best player, but Cryer is probably their most uh, hot or cold because, boy, can Cryer fill it up with eight in the last game, as you said. Kansas and Baylor have had some fantastic battles as of late as the Jayhawks have dominated the all-time series, but the last 10 matchups are split five wins apiece. However, ever, they've only lost to the Bears once at Allen Fieldhouse. Scott Drew is 1-14 in Lawrence. And as we always remind you here in uh, the year 3 AD, when a wee lad Jesus was born in the manger, and he opened his eyes and all of those animals looking around, and the first words that little baby Jesus said, the Baylor Bears. Jesus didn't like them, neither do we. Hopefully, uh, that... Uh, Hopefully the, this battle of the last two national champions comes down in favor of the home team. All right, Nick, this is going to be one of our toughest predictions yet. I will begin with Landon, who has predicted a 84-78 to high-scoring, entertaining win for the home team. He likes the Jayhawks to extract their revenge on the Bears. What say you? Yeah, I don't think at any angle I ever see Kansas losing this type of game, especially with the implications. They always seem to do an on-field house. The crowd always steps up. Um, they already lost a home game this year at Allen Field House, and I think they got rid of that. Um, I think Kansas wins this game. Uh, give me 80-75. to 75. This is going to be a battle. I think Baylor has an argument as a top three team in the country. Their offense is terrifying. No lead is safe. But ultimately... Teams that are coached by Bill Self don't get swept. They just don't very often, especially when the second game is at home. When Kansas, they in fact, it's never happened where Kansas has lost a road game and then come back home for the rematch and lost to that team again. Hasn't happened under Bill Self. I'm not going to predict it to happen here. Kansas finds a way to get it done. I think McCullers' defense on Flagler or Cryer is just enough. And Dewan Harris is your hero, plays really well and keeps up with Keontae George. Jayhawks 86, Bears 82. A thriller in the fog that comes down to the final minute, but I like the Jayhawks to make one more play than their opponents. And if that happens, I'm not saying print the Big 12 shirts yet, but if Kansas beats Baylor and is in first place with four games left. They'd be tied with Texas, probably. Texas is probably going to win tomorrow. I have a hard time with their remaining schedule, not thinking that they're going to get at least a share of this conference. Other games in Big 12 play. Texas Tech at West Virginia. Give me the Mountaineers at home. Even though they haven't been playing very well, they are at home. Sure, I think they're going to have a little winning streak here. Oklahoma at number six, Texas. Red River Showdown, one of the last ones in basketball. We all like the Longhorns, right? Yeah. Oklahoma State at number 22, TCU. This is interesting. Two teams in complete opposite directions. Who wins in Fort Worth? TCU. Get off the schneid. I agree. They get Mike Miles back, and I hope that they get off the schneid before they play the Jayhawks, but knowing how that usually goes, maybe not. 
and number 19, Iowa State at number 12, Kansas State. I will pick the Wildcats here. I think they're really good at home. They get off the schneid here, and Iowa State hasn't beaten anybody on the road, so not looking to pick them. Other games, number 10, Tennessee at Kentucky. What happens at Rupp? Give me the Wildcats. One of my favorite angles in Pick'em is whenever a really good team loses at home to an opponent, and then they get to go on the road for the rematch. Tennessee lost at home to Kentucky when nothing went right a month ago in Knoxville. Now they're going on the road for revenge. Really good teams and well-coached teams do not normally get swept by inferior opponents. That is what I'm predicting to not happen here. Tennessee beats Kentucky at Rupp. Texas A&M at Missouri. Second place A&M going into the Zoo Crew. Uh, What happens? I think... That uh, Missouri gets cracks the top twenty-five this week. I think they win against home, at home against the good Texas A&M team. I agree. I think that Missouri wins. Number eighteen, Creighton at St. John's. Uh, I will take the Blue Jays on the road reluctantly. Creighton. Michigan State at Michigan. I think the Spartans are better, I do, but I cannot fathom picking them after the week that that campus has had. I can't imagine that they're going to be focused on basketball. I will take Michigan to give the Spartans a great ovation when they walk out on the court, which they deserve, but I think the Wolverines beat an emotionally exhausted Spartan I'll take the opposite angle. I think Michigan State rallies to win this one. Okay, that could definitely happen too. And North Carolina playing for their tournament lives on the road at in-state rival North Carolina State. Who wins? Another L for North Carolina. Agreed, yep. All right, our next show is going to be on Sunday because then we got a big Monday battle with the Horn Frogs. Going to be a lot of fun. We're excited for that one. Jayhawks are potentially two wins in their next two games away from pretty much securing a Big 12 title. It's the most fun time of the year. As a reminder, March Madness, first week of the NCAA tournament. Four weeks from right now. If you haven't gotten your PTO request in, do it now. You're going to need to do it. I'll make sure I'm off. Nick, is that spring break at KU? Uh, Which week? March 16th. It's a Thursday. It's the first week of the NCAA tournament. Spring break uh, starts March 13th. Monday, March 13th. There you go. You're going to have it off for uh, for the most exciting two-day period in all of sports. And hopefully the Jayhawks will be a number one seed and make all of us very, very happy. This is Inside the Paint. You'll get Landon back on the next show. But for now, I'm Ryan Landreth. And I'm Nick Wipert. All right. Have fun at the game tomorrow, Nick. Try not to get too rowdy. I'll try. Bye.